Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Pepperisha is still out with us here for episode 57, but Matt Santangelo is here again with me. Uh, Matt, how you doing? Everything's coming back once again after, uh, you know, a little, what, 30, 40-day hiatus, if you're including the leagues, not discounting the Champions League, because if it's the Champions League, it's just a couple weeks. It didn't even feel like that long. It felt like it was kind of like a two-week break, like kind of a, you know, nice little break, you know, maybe like a small little vacation for everyone. And then, you know, we're hopping back into the major leagues, the major competitions, and ultimately the football that matters most. So I'm very excited. Um, as Serie A guys, you know, predominantly, we're, we're pleased to see Milan get back up and rolling, especially with the Europa League matches, as well as the season coming up. So uh, a ton to talk about, and I'm sure we're going to get into um, everything you guys need to know. Yeah, a um, bunch of stuff kicking off. We're still going to have uh, Bundesliga and Serie A this weekend officially mm-hmm. come back. Um, we obviously got La- some La Liga matches, and we got the Premier League coming back. So we'll start with the Premier League first. Um, kind of the, the the game of the weekend has to be Leeds versus Liverpool. Oh, yeah. Leeds, Leeds coming up for the first time in about 16 years. Um, Liverpool winning their – coming off their league title for the first time uh, – Actually, yeah, first time since the reboot of the Premier League. This one was high scoring. We don't, we didn't, we're not really used to seeing um, Liverpool playing this way. Um, they don't, they don't look the same defensively. Obviously, it's just mm-hmm. one game in. Um, they missed a few chances. They scored their penalties. Um, look, I think it was a great start for Leeds. If we're, if we're gonna, if we're gonna compliment Never easy them, playing the <clears throat> champions the first day. No, first no, not back. at all. Yeah. No, not at all. They couldn't have gotten a tougher matchup, uh, in my opinion. Um, definitely considering like the moving parts between Manchester City, uh, Chelsea, even United to an extent. I think Liverpool still, despite the way they were playing towards the end, you know, after they knew they clinched the title, it's just it was a bit odd to see Liverpool like that. I think there's been just there's a lot of overhanging stuff with the club. Like you would have thought they would have easily have got assigned Thiago at this point. Um, there's still more whispers about players leaving, like the Wijnaldum going to Barcelona. We'll discuss later. But overall, Liverpool gets the three points. Leeds did well enough. And if you want to take away a positive, they competed with the champs. And, you know, the differential didn't kill them, right? Because sometimes that really does matter. You want to you wanna limit to the amount that you lose sometimes in these games, you know? Like a 4-1 loss would have been a lot worse, obviously, than a, than a 4-3 that it was. And for me, responding with that and then going to apparently get Rodrigo De Paul, Matt, which is what we're, we want to talk about with Leeds. This is a, a great playmaker, one of the better distributor and chance creators in Serie A. And, you know, the price tag, it might be a little bit high, but you know what? Leeds has that new Premier League money that they got for getting promoted. Um, and you know what? They're, they're a hell of a side and. And you know what? This is this is just a move that needs to be made, and it's not something like they're getting a no-name teenage player that has a lot to prove. Still, DePaul is is definitely a proven commodity in one of the best leagues in the world, and I think it's a good signing for them. DePaul, yeah, we've we've watched him extensively over the years at Udinese, right? A team that's always been, um, you know, predominantly mid-table, flirting with relegation, and just being in the kind of the bottom five, bottom six of Serie A table. And it's obvious that, you know, with 
Udinese being in a position where they're not exactly able to pay him what he's worth. They're not exactly able to compete and offer him that opportunity to maybe you know, get into a Europa League position or Champions League position, which is you know what players of, of the Paul's caliber want to be doing, right? Um, not to mention, plus he's um, you know, typically in the, in the equation for the uh, Argentine national team. So at, at this stage of his career, he offers so much and almost too much to the point where he should be settling and no offense to Udinese fans, um, if anyone's listening, but I think he's deserving of that next step. And when you look at what he provides in terms of positional versatility, you can play him as a winger. You can play him as an attacking mid. You can play him in a midfield three. He can do so many different things for you. And I think he would be a really um, welcome fit uh, at Leeds under Bielsa, who, uh, as you mentioned, Martino, in their return to the Premier League this past weekend, Look very strong. Look like a team that can create a lot of chances, can do some things in the final third, play progressively uh, quick, and, and do all the sorts of things that will have people talking about them on a week-to-week basis. I think they're going to be a team that scores a lot, um, has a lot of high results or you know, high-scoring results, but also concedes a lot. And I think ultimately over time, we'll have to see how it leads adjusts you know, to the, to the rigorous uh, schedule of the Premier League and the competition. And ultimately, if they're able to sustain this. But overall, despite taking a defeat in, in the first round of the Premier League, it was overall a pretty good weekend for them in terms of what they showcased to the rest of the world. And if they're able to get DePaul, I know there's some differences or there's some um, separation on fee. I think DePaul, as you saw with his tweet that has not been deleted, and he really wants this Leeds United move. And I would be shocked if that if he does wind up staying um, at Udinese, I think Udinese has to be in that position where, look, he clearly wants to leave, make the move happen, settle on a fee that is favorable for both you and the player, and ultimately try and reinvest. And I think Udinese, you know, they have to kind of get back to the older ways of doing things because, you know, they always were a team that would scout really well in the South American regions. You know, Alexis Sanchez was a big coup for them some years ago. They sold them to Barcelona. So I think there's a way around you know, Udinese being able to, yes, sell the player, but also recoup the money necessary to replenish and rebuild that squad so that they can actually move into a more favorable position um, in Italy. Yeah, um, because let's face it, a loss like that, it's going to be massive for them because we talked about how uh, extensively and the main reason that they were up and not in the relegation zone is simply because of the talent that they had up front. So, Going to be curious to see what they do in the final weeks uh, if he does uh, finally head on out over there. But I think this is an A-plus signing for Leeds if it gets done. Um, Aubameyang is staying. Another good week for Pet. Um, they they played great again. Um, and they just they look confident and there's an identity to this Arsenal side. Um, you know, the Community Shield, the FA Cup. I get, I get that they're not the most major of trophies and, and titles that Arsenal fans want to get back to. But, I mean, what a hell of a step compared to 12 months ago, right? We're sitting here talking about Arsenal. We're like, are they good enough for a Europa League spot? Like, how much longer is Unai Emery going to be here? Who, what are the options that they're going to have when they're replacing? Is Aubameyang going to even stay? He ends up staying. Arteta's in. They're doing much better. Gabriel scores for them. Um, from a set piece for me I think I know we like to talk about Chelsea and the vibes around them and how well everything's looking I gotta say there aren't that many teams in the Premier League that have a lot more positivity about them than Arsenal do right well yeah I mean I think if you're you know if you're Arsenal and you're looking at you know 
everything that's been going on under Mikel Arteta, right? You know, this has been a, a pretty successful, you know, stint so far for him as far as, you know, being able to integrate his own style of football, being able to strike deals to keep players that otherwise maybe looked like they could have been on the way out, Obama Yang being the most recent one with a big and very important contract renewal, but also soccer, right? So you kind of look at the make- makeup of this squad and even Ceballos, Gabriel, they're, they're starting to build a team that, you know, are, are trying to really make us a concerted effort to jump up the table, be a team that is a regular in the top four conversation and, you know, factor in, the, you know, with, along with the, the, the framework of their team being very positive and, and strong, or at least heading in a more stronger position, you know, they've won a couple of things. They have a couple of trophies to add to that, to, to support that growth and to, to, to validate what Arteta is doing in such a short amount of time. So I think if, if you're Arsenal and you're looking at your position versus the rest of England, it's definitely not where you want to be um, it, yet. It's, it's not the finished product, but I think there's a lot of signs that say, you know, Arteta's building something special. The, the nucleus, the team is starting to really take shape and, you know, maybe Arsenal fan TV specifically will have some more things to cheer about and have a little bit more optimism heading into the season and beyond because I do feel that Arsenal are, are pushing the right buttons. There was a, a point in time, as you mentioned, Martina under Unai Emery, where things were just sour. A lot of players were uh, uh, upset. You know, Granite Shaka with the whole egging on the fans and kind of, you know, it was a really frustrating time for Arsenal fans and they felt like they were kind of going into a, another spiral out of control but they've turned the corner the past six months, more or less. And you really have to feel that Arsenal, you know, may be on the way back. And it just makes that much more of a more competitive Premier League uh, conversation, right? Because they are one of the bigger teams. They're a team that has a good history. They have a, they're a team that is uh, big in terms of the football uh, landscape. So to see a, an Arsenal on the rise and back to where they should be is encouraging for all. Yeah, um, always. The big teams like that, especially Arsenal, um, when we were growing up as well, Arsenal, when they're great or when they're very competitive in top four conversation, the Premier League is just that much better. Champions League football is that much better. Um, and the sport as a whole, it, it truly is. So I'm happy for Pet that they get, that they get to see something um, like this unfold. Um, they still have a lot to figure out, don't get me wrong. Um, there's other moves that will probably – that they're likely going to have to make if they want to make further improvements within the team, because there's certain players that don't really have a role in Arteta's uh, squad moving forward. And, you know, you have to shed that salary in order to make other moves because as of right now, teams are losing so much money with no fans coming to the stadium. So that's always still a main factor. Um, So I guess we're going to have to be moving on um, from the Premier League. But before we do that, we got to let you guys know that today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and much more. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing. They hit over a million subscribers, by the way, so congratulations to them. It's a great accomplishment. Um, and here's to two million. Uh, for 40% off, though, your annual subscription to the best writing around, all you have to go is to theathletic.co.uk slash SOP. They've been a fantastic sponsor for us. It's so cheap to just sign up, whether you want to do the annual subscription or just pay monthly. Monthly is so cheap um, with this deal that's going on right now, especially if you sign up with us. Um, it's ju- it just really is just the best site around. We, we say it week in, week out. Um, 
And again, NFL back here, if there's other fans that want to get into hand egg, as you guys like to call it over in Europe, you can you can get interested in that. If not, I mean, hey, basketball is coming down the stretch here. LeBron James and the Lakers probably winning another title. So, I mean, there's so much to, to read, to learn about. And Matt, let's be honest, it's, they're the best in the business. And I'm looking forward to, to the rest of this season and, and the rest of the transfer stories that are going up until October 5th. So some of the, anything yeah, some, else, some of the yeah. best content, probably, if not, if not the best content, uh, if you're a football fan, you know, very mobile friendly. So you, that's not a really of a concern and you're going to get daily things in your inbox as well. If you're, you know, obviously subscribing through us and just through the athletic in general, but also a big shout out to the athletic for not only sponsoring the podcast, which you guys are listening to right now, but also our YouTube channel, which you guys should definitely go check out. A lot of great content from Pet and Harry Brooks, who we've had on multiple times here. Once again, thank you to The Athletic for their backing. We really do appreciate it. And make sure you guys, if you have that interest in joining, do so through us and we'll get a great offer for you. Yep, no doubt about that. So guys, please sign up. Let us know when you do. And we appreciate all the support from everybody involved. Um, so we're moving on to Legon. Look. Anytime something like this happens, um, and this is a common theme that we we have covered on here, it is something that we have been outspoken about. Um, it's still relevant pre-match all the time. Players taking knees for the Black Lives Matter cause. And, you know, this isn't whatever, take away your sentiments, feelings, whatever towards that. It's really irrelevant to this. But hearing what happened at this match and what Neymar was trying to do. And the fact that he got sent off, it's, it's really, it's concerning. And you know what? There's no excuse for it whatsoever. I'm not going to repeat what was said. You guys can go look it up. Um, It's just not something worth repeating and, and giving any limelight further into this to feed in. But this is inexcusable. And if I was Neymar, I would have done the same thing as him. And I wouldn't, and if I was Thomas Tuchel, I wouldn't be upset about it. PSG came out and made a statement saying they're backing Neymar with this as they should. And you know what? Suspend him for the rest of the year. Get it like, get him the hell out. Like you have to, there has to be a precedent being taken place here. Not only what we said this with the fans in Italy, that you have to ban him for life, or if you want to take a precautionary measure or whatever, whatever president you want to set, they have to be banned for an extended period of time, right? And for me, when a player is doing this and when a player has been outspoken on social media saying that he is against racism and against all these disgusting acts, but yet goes onto the field and does that and says that, I mean, there's nothing worse than pretending to be something that you're not. Your actions dictate the type of person that you are and that was exposed on the field. And you know what? Like, Neymar's ban should be reduced. Whatever. You want to give him the red card for that match? He should be back on the field this weekend, and he should be allowed to play immediately. Because what you're telling a player here is that you are going to get suspended if you stand up for yourself against some of the most vile human beings saying the most vile things possible, and you're taught that you just don't do anything, you're just supposed to walk off. I mean – I understand that. I understand you don't want to incite violence. You don't want to get, make things physical, you know, set a bad example for younger children. But you know who set the bad example here? The person that was being racist. 
And Neymar was simply just reacting the way that I think any rational human being would have reacted in that situation. I, I just think it's despicable. There's no place for it. Forget football anywhere. You, you just don't do that. And we're, we're in 2020 now. If you don't want to get with the times, if you don't want to do any of this, then get, a, get out of society. Just go back in your hole and don't come outside because nobody wants people like that anywhere on this planet. And, and you know what, frankly, it's a recurring theme and something needs to like take set with a precedent. And I've called for UEFA to come out and even make a mm-hmm. suspension, right? Like suspend them from all competitions. Don't even make it just a league. Like this is, this is pathetic. And there's so many organizations, there's so many different players um, and clubs that could st- step up, say something, make a precedent here. And they're not doing it. Like, where's Marseille in this? Are they going to do something? Are they going to say, hey, you're suspended for the rest of the season? Like, what's going to happen? I think it's, I think it's, you saw the, the, the back and forth, right? I think uh, Alvaro Rodriguez, if I'm correct, is the, the supposed man who, who said the racist things to Neymar, right? We, we, you know, we don't have all of the information yet. It still kind of feels like it's an ongoing situation, right? And we all know how Neymar was very explosive and very uh, upset and rightfully so. Um, you know, in the whole you know shakeup of this, and he still is right. And I think there's a lot of players who are backing him. I saw you know several different messages on social media in support of Neymar, and everyone's got to be in support of combating and ultimately eradicating racism in not just football and sport, but around the globe in general. And I think what's going to happen here is I'm sure Neymar and his 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 entourage and. PSG and whoever are going to appeal this and hopefully see if it can get over overturned. And look, there's probably going to be a deeper investigation. A lot of things nowadays that that that's the guess the silver lining of the good thing about social media. I know there's a lot of bad in social media because we were so you know privy to seeing these things on a day to day basis. It feels like, but I think social media what it does is it exposes a lot of the um, racist and racism that they commit. And ultimately helps, you know, with these sorts of situations come down to a verdict and you have a sort of fair settlement and a fair, you know, you know, solution to some of these things that, you know, we're still working towards. For me, I just, it's, it's one of those things where this may sound the worst, but it's almost like tiring talking about it. I understand we need to have the conversation. Oh, not? It's important. We it's can't not just tiring, we yeah. can't just we can't just you know you turn a blind eye to it and just move on as usual because these things shouldn't be happening. But it's just really unfortunate that people who are um, playing professional sports and have such a responsibility as role models um, to not only you know young kids who support their team, you know, their club, the the city, the the country, just the world in general, but also to society. And when you see something like this in 2020, especially coming from someone who's you know, been vocal about this subject and has been against it and has talked against it, um, it's very disappointing. Um, I'm hoping that we, we get a, a, a resolution here. This gets resolved. Um, Neymar is, obviously has his, his sentence ban punishment reduced or eliminated, and we can move on and, and get past these things. But yeah, it's, it's just disgusting for these sorts of things to keep happening. And there's got to be a way that we can we can be better than this because I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it's a huge football problem. Cause I think the vast majority, a lot of the, the majority of footballers and those involved have good hearts. They're not racist. They, mm-hmm. they mean well, they know, under, they know their position, they know their responsibility and they take it very strongly. And then there is that you know, little sector that kind of wants to creep in and, and, and ruin things and taint the game that we all love. So 
we'll have to keep an eye on this. I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the next recording as we get more of an, mm. in, more of a more clarity on what the ultimate fallout will be from this. But as of right now, this has got to stop. It's disgusting. It has no place in football and it has no place in society today. Yeah. Um, nothing else left to say on that from either, either of us. So we're just going to be moving on from that. Bundesliga is back this weekend. Um, Pokal came back uh, midweek. I was watching it yesterday prior to the Chelsea game. Um, Dortmund looks so much fun, man. I mean, ESPN Plus now carries all these Bundesliga games over here in the States. So I was able to watch some of their preseason stuff. And they were young and exciting. But now, honestly, if they keep Jaden Sancho, this has got to be one of those teams. Like, if, you're, if your club is not playing and this, this club is – that's the channel I'm turning to. That is the game I'm turning on because Bellingham, Gio Reyna, uh, Erling Holland, uh, Thorgan Hazard as well. I mean, even when they put um, Royce on there, it's just it's just so much fun and there's so many talented players. And, you know, like they lost one of the best wingbacks in the world in Hakimi. And yet it's just kind of like an afterthought at this point. And that's how talented this team is. And this core as a whole is just – so impressive. It was just chance after chance being created in this match. And these are, these are kids, man. These aren't, these aren't like well-proven veterans that Bayern has, right? You know, all, most of these guys I've listed are younger than Leroy Sané. And Leroy Sané is a very young player in this. Jude Bellingham coming over, he gets man of the match. And I mean, this is really now, it's increasingly... I think being proven, and I know it's just one match for him, but we've seen everything with Jaden Sancho. Honestly, like if you're a young player coming from England and there's a lot of pressure on you and that stuff, I, I just think it's going to be continued, continued trend to see guys like this. And I understand like that might not be the goal for a lot of people. And then everyone has a different route to the way they get a successful career, right? You don't always necessarily have to go to the Bundesliga or leave England to do that. You don't always have to stay in England to do that. Everyone goes down their own path, but now when you've seen a couple examples in a row and it's almost immediate success and, and the confidence being boosted into these players, Matt, for me, this is, I mean, Dortmund now, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Like, out of all the top five leagues, because we know Bundesliga is so tough with Bayern, how many titles in every top five league could Dortmund actually compete for? I think they could compete for the title to the last week, for the most part, if they were to keep Jaden Sancho this season, in like a good three of them, I think they would have a shot in La Liga. I think Ligue 1. I think they could definitely do Serie A. Even Bundesliga, I think they're going to give Bayern, uh, you know, a run for their money, even though I think Bayern's got in the bag. I'm not even like completely ruling them out for anything in the Premier League. I think that I think they're that much of a quality side, and they get overlooked because they play in the same league as Bayern and. Honestly, it's I think I think it is going to be a hell of a season for Bundesliga. And this is a team, honestly, on their best day, they can beat anybody in the Champions League too. And I'm not and I'm not think, shying away from that. I think with Dortmund, um, it's funny too because I I kind of put thought of Dortmund when this player said this, Timothy Castagna, who um formerly of Atalanta now with Leicester City, actually scored on his debut uh for Leicester City, uh was quoted to Gazeta saying, quote only Ajax is a better club for a young player than Atalanta. And you feel like Dortmund are a club that belongs in that same conversation based on their track record. Right? This is just business as usual um, for Borussia Dortmund in the sense that um, it's, it's, it's next one up, right? It's that next one up mentality where 
you know, when they sold Usman Dembele, everyone's like, Peru's in a really big piece there. He's young, he's vibrant, he's skillful, he's a, a game a game changer. What are they going to do? They get someone else in there, he produces, and then he leaves. They get another person in there. Like, they just kind of keep replenishing. They have an, a real great eye for talent. And Bellingham had uh, a, a wonderful debut. He looks like a real top player, a player that could be uh, maybe following in the footsteps of Sancho in the sense that maybe a couple of years at Borussia Dortmund, you know, struts his stuff, you know, puts up pretty good numbers, convinces premier, top Premier League clubs to take an eye out of him and bring him back to England and really showcase what he's able to do at the next level. Uh, Borussia Dortmund are uh, one of the, the handful of model clubs for um, footballers. If, you, if you're looking to develop your career, if you're looking to get that opportunity to train under some of the best young players and one of the best systems, one of the best academies, um, and just overall general vi- environments and vibes to be within on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's really important is, yes, you can have a good coach. You can have supporting players around you that help elevate your game um, and take you under their wing. But it's another to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of comfort when making a sort of move, right? We see what, what Pulisic did, you know, the growth he's having. And obviously as a key man for, uh, for Chelsea, Gio Reina could be following that same footsteps as well as a really young player who's you know, projected to play a big role uh, for Dortmund um, this current season. So I, I think I, I think you agree. I think, you know, look, we are, while Bayern Munich will always get the praise and plaudits and mostly attention because they are, uh, let's call it like it is, the dominant team in the Bundesliga, a team that just won the treble, have star power um, in, in numbers. I think Borussia Dortmund are a team that's always going to be in that conversation as a legitimate top four team, a team that you cannot sleep on by any stretch in the Champions League and a team that can really make some noise and give big clubs and larger clubs fit. So uh, a big shout out to Borussia Dortmund with they, what they're able to accomplish on a, week, on a, on a, on a year, year to year basis, excuse me. And, you know, if you're someone who, including myself, who really wasn't too involved in the, the German Bundesliga, I think a lot of people, because it came back first before any of the major leagues, um, mm-hmm. this, this, this previous season, you kind of got a, a glimpse of what they have to offer um, in terms of young talent, in terms of playability, and just in terms of just general entertainment, if you're a football fan like me, who just also wants that sort of element, aside from, you know, your team winning, you know, it's, it's fun to watch other leagues and see what they have to offer and see what sort of entertainment value they have. And Bundesliga are a team that, or a league, excuse me, that definitely offer plenty of entertainment value. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what Borussia Dortmund are able to do this year, especially if they're able to keep Sancho, which I know is still on going negotiation between them and Manchester United but if they're able to somehow retain him for another year that's going to be really fun to see that sort of young attack take shape and and sort of give Bayern Munich maybe a more of a a tighter run than they are accustomed to getting for that title yeah um honestly like the kid the kid has the potential to reach 2020 if he stays with Dortmund this season I think I think it's he was close to it to begin with and he didn't get um all the playing time that he needed but Man, he's just so impressive. Dortmund's players in general so impressive. And the foresight to just get an Erling Holland in January for $20 million for that release clause. Like, look how many teams around Europe right now got to be kicking themselves in the boot. Not to, not to say, like, he would have worked out like this everywhere else, but, man, when you look at some of the clubs that are trying to get some forwards right now, it looks like one of the bigger mistakes by some clubs um, in a long time. So... Speaking of some top players moving to some top clubs in, in terms of forwards, we got some La Liga action. See, I don't, I don't, I understand 
backing a new manager and getting the purchases that he needs to fit the system and play style that he wants. He wants players that are familiar with, um, you know, just what they want to do, right? This is, this happens all the time. Certain coaches demand certain players, like, like certain guys want to go play under certain players, like Jorginho had to go play with Saudi at, at Chelsea, for example. And Memphis Depay, moving from Lyon, who Lyon won't be in the Champions League, obviously, because the league one season ended early. So they need to make some sales. Memphis Depay goes back to join his former national team manager, Ronald Koeman. Not official, not official yet, but well, you feel like it's a formality once it's, Barcelona it's a, it's to a form. It's sell a form. some of their, their players, yeah. And, Matt, again, this is, this is why Messi wants to leave. This, how does this fix their situation? I'm, I'm truly – I'm not saying I really am a fan of Memphis Depay. He is just coming off a torn ACL surgery um, not too long ago, by the way. Um, came back and obviously went to go play those matches in the Champions League before they got knocked out. But, my goodness, like, you still have Dembele on the books. Coutinho came back. You still have Griezmann there. You haven't figured out a solution for Luis Suarez. And I understand there's going to be guys that are leaving like Vidal, Rakitic. Pjanic just came in, obviously, with a swap with Arthur. But, I, like, how, how does this put confidence in Barcelona for me to take the next step and solve their issues and have Leo Messi eventually stay? I don't see it. it this doesn't make sense. Mm. This is simply a move to appease your new manager. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that line of thinking, but the line mm. of thinking doesn't make sense when you have all these issues. And it's, for me, it seems, this is, it doesn't right. fix anything. It, it, yeah, it, it, it seems like they're kind of trying to, you know, patch over some – some issues and say, Hey, we got the pie. He's a big name. Right. Or, you know, and this is no discredit to, to the pie as a player. I think he's very, very strong. I think he's creative. He's a really wonderful dribbler. He scores some great goals for Leon. He's definitely an effective player. I think he will improve Barcelona. Um, but he's not the like, Oh, we got the pie. I think everything kind of seems more clearer now. There's a little bit more of a, a relief with his arrival. He's just kind of another piece. And you, it seems to me is that they're just trying to get guys and trying to like piece it together with their market. And even when is another player from Liverpool that they are trying to get done, although it looks a little bit more problematic as days go on um, for, for a couple of different reasons, but I don't completely disagree with the pie appointment. I think, you know, when you put all the players involved at Barcelona, they certainly have a great attack. I think Griezmann, I expect more from him in his second year at the club. You have Messi. Ansu Fati is one of the top young players in world football. Still a teenager. Obviously scored his first goal for Spain. So he's on his way to being one of Barcelona's next big stars. But I look at the rest of the, the collective squad and I saw like a joking, uh, you know, like a projected 11 for them. And they kind of had like seven or eight like attackers slash like attacking mids and mm. then like two defenders and a goalkeeper. Like they seem <laughs> to me like they're not, I don't really know how to put this. They're, they got problems, they have issues and they're trying to kind of grasp for what everything that kind of, let's get to pie, let's see if that will work. Let's see if, you know, well, Naldon will have some solution, uh, some sort of provide some mm, sort of solution yeah. in the midfield. Like they're not a team that invokes and strikes that fear in you. If you're Real Madrid, I obviously know you have, they have to respect them as their their biggest and most you know direct rival. But you look at them and you're like, Madrid just seems so clear, right? I think Madrid are in position. They're selling a lot of players, yes, but they're getting Odegaard back. You know, they're able mm. to probably add where they need to. I think they're kind of trying to you know 
clean house, if you will, at this point in time, and then maybe secure a couple more deals later in the window. But with Barcelona, it's just you really a lot of you kind of left scratching your head as to what direction are they heading in? Are they heading in a direction where they're trying to compete next year, or are they trying to maybe quasi rebuild um, post Messi? I don't really know. Um, I'm assuming that look, Luis Suarez will stay. It doesn't look like he's going to go to Juve. It looks as though that Jacko is going to be the arrival for Juventus in that striker position, um, with Milik going to Roma, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit a little bit later on. But nevertheless, I think it's just more. Um, concerning to me to continue to watch Barcelona make these sorts of moves. Again, I do like Depay. I also liked him when he was at PSV and he made that move to Manchester United and I know it didn't work out. And he's been able to reclaim that, that, that great form and, and be a very influential player uh, since going to Lyon. And we saw that in the Champions League. We see that in, 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 in France on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. But I don't just see him as a, as a main solution. I think he'll score goals. I think he'll put up some pretty decent numbers, but I don't see this being the sort of, you know, the, the, the big, big move that kind of puts Barcelona back on track, gets them off from, off from the deep end and back to being a team that really everyone fears like they did in previous years. And I think it's going to be one of those cases where Barcelona fans are going to have to understand their position. It's not going to be something that can, that they'll, understand and take lightly um always because they, they expect to be competing for top honors at, every year but it's a time it, it's it's a it's a changing of the times right you know new manager new players the reality that seems realistic and seems like more than just fantasy more than just a, a, a bad nightmare that Messi could leave after this year and I think that's maybe what's coming into play with the pie is that they're bracing themselves for that possible outcome which seems inevitable now yeah, honestly, it, it kind of does. And you know what? Like, best of luck to Memphis Depay. Always been a fan of his. Thought it was an unfair shake where he went to Manchester United. Not that many players really have that much luck during that time when he went there. He was so young. So hopefully he recovers fully from this ACL. They ease him in and he has success over at Barcelona. But man, I, I still am not a fan of that outlook for them. So we're going to be moving on to Serie A now. This is our bread and butter to wrap up the show before we head on out here. I, like so, so the Suarez situation isn't going to finish itself out because he had to go get a citizenship test finished because they had the last EU spot went to uh, Weston McKinney. By the way, impressed on his debut uh, in the preseason match against Novara. So kudos to him. Let's go, USA. Um, only reason why I'm kind of fond of him uh, when he's on Hugh Ray's Hill. Um, but now they're not going to get Suarez. We highlighted what that really meant for them, and we weren't really that big of fans of the move. So we figure, okay, they're pivot. Maybe they look somewhere younger. The reported name, Eden Dzeko. I like Dzeko. We're fond of him. We talked about it with John Solano when he was on the podcast. Um, we know his goal-scoring credibility in Bundesliga. English Premier League, and then over here in Serie A, for me, this kind of just doesn't make sense again. This is this profile for me, in terms of what Pirlo is apparently asking for in his system, and it's something you highlighted so well in the last pod, is quick ball retention. Keep depressing up. And he's not pacey. He's tall, yeah. Great inside the box. He's not going to be scoring a lot outside of the box, and I know that's not really what they're going to be asking for of him he, he's pretty good in, in hold-up play, but the older he gets, the tougher it's going to be for him. This is a great move if they want to win Serie A. But again, their ultimate goal for Champions League 
and what I hope and what I think they would want to do with Cristiano Ronaldo and their team is to win that. Eden Dzeko, for me, doesn't change my mind. Like, I, like, again, this is a move that just doesn't, to me, it's not saying we're moving the needle here into the conversation of contenders for the Champions League. I just don't see how that does it. And at the end of the day, they very well should be favorites, even though Pirlo's a major question mark. I mean, is this the right move for Juve? Do you agree with it? What other options do they really have at this point? Because it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. I'll give them that. It's pretty difficult to bring in a, a forward of this. And there was a rumor again of Murata coming back. And I know a lot of Juve fans were shuddering at the idea of it. But it's slim pickings. But I, I don't know. I just feel like well, Juve should have better aspirations. Here's the thing. I mean, you look at the market for strikers, like out and out number nines, right? I think that's what that, to the Juve need here. They don't need uh, a pacey, false nine, you know, dribbling type central forward. You know, they need a striker right? because Iguain leaving, he's going to enter Miami. And, you know, I think Ronaldo's going to be playing out wide. Dybala, you're not going to, although I think Dybala did really well as a nine last year, he kind of fits the billing of, uh, of more of a, a playmaker, more of an, uh, uh, a player that plays off a bigger striker, can dribble, can make that final ball happen. And when I look at Dzeko, when I look at the, the, the field of targets that Juve were after or reportedly after, I think that's worth mentioning that because there was a lot of fluff, a lot of just random fantasy names that were out there. Um, I know Milik was one that they really wanted, or at least there was a lot of, you know, you know, rumblings about that a couple months ago um, due to the, the situation with, with him at Napoli. He seems to be going to Roma. Um, you know, the, the fee looks, looks, looks like to be somewhere between 20 to 25 million with bonuses included. Although again, that, that may not occur. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I'm assuming by next week we'll have understanding of that. But then you look at Olivia Giroud, who was mentioned last week, I think from Sky, who I think is a very fully functioning number nine, someone that would thrive or play pretty well at Juve. And in Serie A, I think he's, you know, a good hold-up player. He does a lot of things off the ball and aside from numbers to help you win on a given match day. Uh, and then you look at Dzeko, who seems to be the um, the consensus or the number one guy for them right now to replace Higuain, at least help them for one to two years. Look, I know Jekko is getting up there in age. I think he's approaching his mid-30s. We know that he has a lot of miles on him, but we also know that he brings a ton of intangibles aside from goals, which we all know he can still deliver, um, evident when we saw in the, pre- the past couple seasons at Roma. But he's a good holder player. He's more technical than I think people maybe recognized due to his you know frame he's a big he's a big war physical striker um he can pass he can do a lot of things that i think will help ronaldo will help dibala will help costa kulisevsky get in behind and be the more creative outlets while he you know does a lot of things to help open up the field of play for those guys to do what they do best and i think it has to be more of an understanding of the market itself for players that they're looking for but how many out and out strikers right now would be available to them that they would realistically spend a, a good fee on, right? You know, off the top Doesn't of my not. head, I mean, you, yeah. I mean, Suarez, they looked at, okay, I don't think he was a, a tremendous fit. I think he was someone like a Fanta Calcio type option where you're like, look at all these stars on this team, you know, that sort of move. And I think he would, you know, would have helped, but I don't think necessarily he was think, was the best fit for Pirlo's system or the system he wished, uh, wishes to implement. I think with Jekyll, what they're doing here is there's going to be a very minimal uh, fee, um, their wages will be pretty significant, yes. But I think at the same time, he's a player himself that I think has that burning desire to win something. 
um, and get back to being more of an influential player like he was um, at Manchester City in their title title winning season. And also, you know, in the earlier stages of Roma, where he you know, played a big, big role there as well. I think, look, this is just a, a reading of the room. Right? You're reading the room. What's, who's out there? And I think if you look at Dzeko, while he may not be the, the striker that's more fit for the modern game in terms of being that, that really, you know, sleek, technical, like Lautaro Martinez type striker, he's a little bit more lumbering, a little bit more physical, a little bit more of an imposing figure. To, add, to serve as a reference point, I think he will help Juve. And I don't think his, the expectation should be he's going to be a 15-20 goal scorer. The expectation should be that he's going to help open up everything and open up the game plan for that attack to thrive. And I would like to see, for me, you know, a couple different things where maybe, look, Pirlo will experiment and have maybe a 4-3-1-2 with Dybala in the hole, Ronaldo playing up front and Jekko playing off him, or Jekko as the sole number nine, and you have Ronaldo out wide, you have a more attacking midfield type behind him, and then you have Dybala out wide, or you have Kulusevski behind Jekko, and then Dybala out wide. Like, I think Jekko gives you um, a tactical expansion, if that makes sense, in the sense that he's not such a liability on the ball as many other um you know, true number nines can be, right? I think you know, everyone looks to Mario Riccardi as, as a great goal scorer, and he is, but we all know what he isn't, and that's a technical um, forward who can really do a lot of things in the midfield and, you know, help make that final pass happen. He's a goal scorer, and he does it really well, but I think Jekko is someone that does fit for them in the short term that is still effective in the right system, and I think that's what Pirlo's challenge is going to be is how to – ensure that Jekko's in the right position to succeed while also not stepping on the toes of guys like Cristiano Ronaldo and Dybala, who were their main two guys and at, for much of last season carried Juve to the title, which was um, their, their, their most difficult chase for the title um, of the nine, in my opinion, that they've currently won. Besides the first one, yes, just because I'm going to be biased like that. Well, yeah, well, yeah I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, gonna, just being, I'm just being biased. Yeah, I'm not going to But yeah, you know, what I, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, absolutely. As a team, because they were undefeated in that first one. I'm totally kidding on that. This was absolutely their toughest one, but we'll see what happens with that. We got a couple more moves before we head on out here to discuss potentially. Um, this is a pretty big one, pretty shocking, and would be an amazing coup for Torino if they're able to pull this off. Marco Giampaolo and Lucas Torreira. Matt reuniting in Serie A. Uh, there's been reports about boy. him him leaving Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. There were some rumors last year about him going to Milan with Ciampolo prior to everything being a debacle there. Um, obviously, he seems to be the odd man out with Arteta. Um, and you know what? I, this is going to be difficult for Torino to afford in the first place, by the way. Um, and there's also the rumors of Bolotti to Spurs and there <laughs> Cairo again asking for 50 million euros. Um, absolutely stunning. The man, the man has balls of steel um, and they probably don't exist because he's absolutely delusional. Um, but yeah, this would be an amazing move for them. I think this would help Marco Giampaolo and what he wants to do and solidify at Torino to kind of, you know, Gain, gain, a lot, gain a lot of respect back because he lost a ton of it at Milan and, and it was almost like the Ventura equivalent. Um, just a straight-up disaster that Ventura had with the Italian national team is basically what Gianpaolo was like for Milan. You know, everyone hyping it up. It's a new dawn, new era. Next thing you know, is he's out within, within a flash. Um, so really quick, this move, 
I, I think it's perfect um, for Gianpaolo and Torino. The best move that Torreira can make and best club he could go back to, I'm not too sure about that. But it, but again, it's probably where he's most comfortable. Yeah, Torreira, I, I, I liked him early on at Arsenal, but I think for a team that you can tell is, is changing the sort of direction they're going in, I think they're looking for different players. I think they're looking for... Um, you know, Thomas Party being one of them from Atletico Madrid. I think there's a, there's a little bit of a standstill there because I think Arsenal doesn't want to pay the 50 million fee that Atletico is asking, um, which is his, his clause fee. Um, and they're also looking at Husim Awar, um, and I probably mispronounced that name, but I apologize there, from Lyon, right, as, as a big midfield target. So I think they're looking at it and they're thinking, well, if we can sell a couple pieces here and be able to fund a move for one of those two midfielders that we think can move the needle for us versus having a guy like Torreira where we don't think necessarily he's going to be a, a driving force in getting the midfield where it needs to be in terms of on that elite level, that elite stage. I think it's a great move for all. I think Torreira has been obviously wanting to go back to Italy. We even heard about that in the last window when he was loosely linked to Milan. He was loosely linked to Napoli and even Roma. Obviously that didn't materialize and you can kind of get a sense that maybe that had an effect on his play. Um, at Arsenal, aside from, of course, injuries. Look, I think Torreira at Sampdoria under Giampaolo is what ultimately helped, you know, move or, or make that move happen to Arsenal a couple of seasons ago. So reuniting them only seems fitting, right? And I think Torino um, are in a position where, you know, look, maybe uh, maybe there's, there's a lot of rumblings about maybe if, they could, if, if Andrea Belotti is going to be sold this summer. There's a big fee coming in from Tottenham. They seem relentless in trying to get him in because they do need another striker alongside Harry Kane. So maybe this is one of those things where you don't expect a club like Torino to pay 20 to 25 million for a single player. They could obviously sort it out with installments. Um, that remains to be seen. But if I'm just speaking purely on the player itself, himself, and whether or not he's a fit at Torino back in Italy, I absolutely love this. I think Gianpaolo will find a way to uh, make Torreira a key man in the midfield. He's uh, a midfielder that could do a ton of different things for you. He's got a clean engine. He's mobile. He's good defensively. He's a pretty good passer. And getting him back to a familiar territory and a territory where he thrived um, you know, in previous years at Samp, at Pescara, I think this bodes really well for him. And it also helps Arsenal um, you know, get, go, go in a different direction and get players that they really feel can be um, game changers. Uh, moving forward for the project that Arteta is building. So I think this is one that does get done. I think Matteo Pedrosi um, has been covering this extensively. I think once Fiorentina bowed out of this, it was he was Torino's to lose. And I think this is something that could get done in the next week, in my opinion. Yeah, they got to they got to move quickly, and it's better for uh, better and best for everyone involved in this move to uh, get it done swiftly. Um, so yeah, going over to the capital, the Freakins. Matt, they're trying to make their mark right now. Officially, that Milik is not officially accepting the offer to go to Roma from Napoli just yet. The reported um, fee would be around 25 million euros. I think this would definitely be a nice upgrade, especially if they lose Dzeko. They're already thin. They've lost Kolarov. They have lost um, Zaniolo already. That midfield is a little inconsistent, as John Solano would even like to tell you himself. There are some missing pieces, but this would... It's not a massive upgrade. Milik isn't that fantastic. One thing that does worry me about him is Roma's ACL injury history on top of his ACL injury history alone. I think that mm-hmm. hasn't been something that's been well documented. It's just something I initially thought of 
hopefully he does. Like I'm not, I would never wish anything on a player like that, but it's just, it's always concerning, especially seeing trends like that. Um, I think it's an upgrade. I think this would be good for them. They need a younger, more reliable, um, not more reliable than Jekyll, but a younger and reliable goal scorer. Some different, for the club. some more fresh legs, someone who can do, mm-hmm. a, you know, do a couple different things for it. I understand. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? It's just it's just something that Roma need to do to usher in this new era with ownership. So we'll see if that gets done. I think it would be nice for Napoli to reallocate some of that money, and maybe get another go at Boga. Um, Kumbula, they came in and then they swept in yesterday. Di Marzio was saying this. This is Fabrizio Romano as well. Kumbula going from Verona, we thought Lazio, we thought Inter potentially uh, a player that is solid at the three at the back, Matt and. This is for a fee that could go up towards 30 million euros. I mean, look, this is something Roma needs, especially if Chris Smalling won't be coming back. It'll be difficult to see if they can reach an agreement with United on a fee with that. But again, I think they're going to try. This, I think that's still ongoing. I yeah, think yeah. Trying, that's because still I think ongoing, Fazio, yeah. Fazio is, could, is, is He's going horrific. to be honest with the Cagliari. And I think Diego Godin, I think that's, a, that's a, also a move that can possibly work for Cagliari as well. So um, you look at the, the, back, the back line of Roma. Bringing back Small, and he's he's got that leadership. He's proven last year that he can be very effective um, and one of the better central defenders. And said, "Yeah, I make that adjustment from the Premier League to Italy." And then also, of course, with Kumbula, one of the more highly sought after young central defenders in Italy. He was part of that Elas Verona team that uh, was one of the more defense, the best defensive sides in Italy. Basically, the Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United equivalent of Serie A, you could say, right? Yeah, For comparison. Basically, um, without, the, without the coffers, of course. But um, yeah, Kumbula was yeah. linked with you know some of the big clubs, Lazio, Inter, as you mentioned. But the fact for Roma to get a player that you know they can at least you know bank on being there for a handful of years, maybe he is the the next sort of a monoloss type, right? I know when, you know, Roma got rid of, you know, some of their central defenders, central defenders of previous years, they brought in monoloss and he was, was really steady. He, he served that club really well. And maybe Kumbula will be in that position where he can, um, you know, be a pillar for them to build around with small and have sort of that experienced slash young, uh, you know, pairing going on there essentially, because I think that defense needs help and needs also to be healthy, which is, I think a big focus for them in these two moves. And it's a sign for that maybe Roma is going to be pretty active in the coming weeks of the market. So I'm sure uh, John Solano, who was on and he talked about a couple of weeks ago about Roma, what we can expect from their market. Maybe they're starting to have a sort of awakening and a revival here, but also a reality check and a kind of reading of the room, as I mentioned uh, earlier, in that they're looking at what Milan are doing. They're looking at what Inter are doing. They're looking at what Juve, Napoli, um, Lazio, all these sorts of clubs are doing. And they're thinking, we can't afford to just sell players and just regress further. I think you're going to see some more uh, solid moves being made, not necessarily big, big moves, but Kabula is a really big one. I think smalling at the fee that we're hearing is another one. I think that really bodes well for them as well. Milik gives him another striker, someone who, um, despite some of his injuries of the past, the past two seasons, he's been pretty mm. healthy for the most part and pretty productive. And if they're able to build around that and get, keep that, that project moving, they'll definitely be in the conversation to compete for um, at the very least Europa League, but also of course, Romanisti are hoping they're a little bit more ambitious and they can chase on for a top four finish. But as far as these two moves go or this flurry of activity for Roma, I think these are pretty, pretty solid additions if they can get them over the line. Yeah. If they can get them over the line and see what Milik wants to, to end up doing. Um, look, these, these are, these are the right moves that Roma needs to make. Nice, 
step forward moves, but nothing massive, as you said. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how Roma handle it the rest of the way. There's still a couple of weeks left, so people don't have to be too impatient. But, you know, if they don't get these moves done soon, they could potentially look look back at the first couple of weeks of the season, which start now. They play Verona this weekend, by the way, um, for the kickoff. So f- funny enough, um, it's, it's going to be tough because at least they had Zaniolo for a good amount of time last year. They don't, they don't have that now. So we'll see what they're able to do with the chase of that. Um, and that's really this episode's podcast, right? There's just so many more transfer rumors keep coming out by the second. Um, we're going to keep updating you each and every single episode. Hopefully Pet will be back. He had a toothache. You can follow him on Twitter at Pet Barisha. Matt, give yourself a plug um, before we head out. Sure. Thanks you guys for following me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Check out some of my more recent features where I was on the AS Roma. I talked about Zaniolo, of course, a very unfortunate what happened with him with his injury, wishing him a speedy recovery. And I also had a feature on Sempre Milan. Shout out to them. Check out their podcast as well, where I talked about Sandro Tonali and ultimately what maybe Milan fans can expect from him in year one. Thank you guys for the support. And thank you guys for backing the podcast uh, throughout this entire process. Yeah, um, definitely agreed. We really appreciate all the support and the amount of average plays have been up uh, so much. Hope hope to uh, get to 2,000 followers very soon on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram as well. Obviously, the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, and just everything. Pet has been working so hard. Matt works so hard with Canva, getting the headliners out of all the videos that you guys love to see and, and click on the links to listen to past episodes and current episodes as they're released. You could obviously follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Hit a thousand followers. We're going to keep growing um, and hopefully get to uh, 2,000 followers eventually and faster than I did to a thousand. So thank you guys so much for supporting us uh, and the podcast. And for now, just listen to some more.